Thank you. 좀 전에 그 국제 영화상 수상하고 이제 아 오늘 할 일은 끝났구나 하고 이제 릴렉스하고 있었는데. After winning Best International Feature, I thought I was done for the day and was ready to relax. 아 너무 감사합니다. 그리고 그 어렸을 때 제가 항상 가슴에 새겼던 말이 있었는데 영화 공부할 때 가장 개인적인 것이 가장 창의적인 것이다. 그 말을 하셨던 분이 누구였냐면 책에서 읽은 거였지만. Thank you so much. When I was young and studying cinema, there was a saying that I carved deep into my heart, which is the most personal is the most creative. 그 말은 that quote was from our great Martin Scorsese. So. <웃음> 일단 예, 제가 학교에서 예, 마티 영화를 보면서 공부했던 그런 사람인데 같이 후보에 오른 것만도 너무 영광인데 이제 상을 받을 줄 전혀 몰랐었고요. 예. When I was in school, I studied Martin Scorsese's films. Just to be nominated was a huge honor. I never thought I would win. <웃음> 그 저의 영화를 아직 그 미국의 관객들이나 사람들이 모를 때 항상 제 영화를 어, 리스트에 뽑고 좋아했고 했던 우리 켄틴 형님이 계신데 정말 사랑합니다. 예. When people in the U.S. were not familiar with my film, Quentin always put my films on his list. He's here. Thank you so much. Quentin, I love you. Yeah. Yeah. 같이 후배 오른 우리 토드나 세미나 다 제가 너무나 존경하는 멋진 감독들인데 예, 이 트로피를 정말 오스카 측에서 허락한다면 텍사스 전기톱으로 이렇게 다섯 개로 잘라서 나누고 싶은 마음입니다. And Todd and Sam, great directors that I admire. If the Academy allows, I would like to get a Texas Chainsaw, split the Oscar trophy into five, and share it with, share it with all of you. Thank you. I, I will drink until next morning. Thank you. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin and Dave. Kat is having some scheduled time off this week. Dave is calling from quarantine. Dave, how are you? I'm good. Um, I've been trying not to use the word positive. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to go with optimistic. Um, so I got... I originally wasn't going to be doing this week, um, and... I got because I got COVID nineteen earlier in the week. I was diagnosed on Tuesday, and I had a rough like Tuesday night, Wednesday. Uh, then I just kind of popped out of it. Um, but I know it's not like that for everyone. Um, but I felt um, I'm crossing my fingers that I continue and there isn't some other wave that comes back. I know this thing is pretty unpredictable. But as of right now, um, I'm feeling pretty good, and I think I'm through the worst of it, and it was pretty quick, and uh, I'm fortunate. You kept your sense of smell and taste, yes? Yes. But you know what I've done here is, uh, if you guys can see, I'm in my daughter's room. Uh, she also tested positive, and she's quarantining at oh, her mom's. Oh, no. Did she have symptoms like yours? No. we. Uh, it's all pretty chill. 
there's not a whole lot of symptoms happening. Uh, so like I said, we're lucky. Um, the brunt of it for us has just been, uh, you know, severe, uh, inconvenience of everybody, but, uh, we're just playing it super safe. I've been in this, speaking of, uh, you know, this week is, uh, South Korea and, uh, I, I feel a little bit like old boy in here <laughs> I could go. in this box. I've been on this box and I'm going to be here. Uh, I look today, I, I today of like getting delirious. Uh, I haven't left here. And when I do, I'm just like uh, covered in rubber and a mask and, and I have sanitary uh, na- masculine napkins to wipe down uh, the entire house uh, because Caitlin is negative, but she's in the same house as me. So, I'm in this box and uh worst nightmare. Yeah, you know, I had the choice. Uh she was asking me last night, she was like, uh, you know, uh, do you want me to get you a drink? You know, you want some water or whatever? And and I, I asked out, I was like, is that big uh that big tall glass of tequila that I left on the table before I got sick? Is that is that still there? And she said <laughs> that it was. And I said, No, thank you. Even though I, I I asked for its whereabouts, I said no, thank you. And it reminded me of old boy because he's stuck in the box and he uh he has to get it together. He's in there working out. It's like prison in here. Um, uh, I feel bad for my daughter. <laughs> she spends most of her time here. Now you're gonna be uh you're gonna be like swole and well read. Are you just reading up prison on your body. legal defense strategies <laughs> and yeah. doing push ups and stuff like that? Sure. Yeah, mostly law books. You're gonna look like De Niro in Cape Fear <laughs> when you come out of this. Probably like uh, De Niro and the Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you seem to be doing better when you first said that um, that you had it. I, I was like, oh, I wonder if he's been tested. And I was like, uh, how are the symptoms? And you just listed every symptom of COVID. So then I knew you definitely did have it because you had every classic symptom. But you seem to have made a pretty quick recovery. The super fever hallucinations. Um, it, w- it was interesting and very nightmarish. A lot of this has been, you know, not just the, the captivity thing where I get my meals like slid through the door, uh, like, you know, like the estranged cousin in the dungeon or the the brother that no one knows about. But also I when I go out there, I have to like wipe down like like I'm wiping down my fingerprints after I just killed someone. So there's lots of horror uh, tropes that are <laughs> happening to me right now, real life that I, I enjoy. Well, I'm glad that you're doing better. Um, we uh, we canceled this week. We rescheduled this week when it was clear that you were going to pull through. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to see you. Um, this week, South Korea. We've talked about a number of South Korean movies on the show before, um, but we wanted to do a week where we spotlight specifically the films of South Korea. You guys have uh, picked a couple of movies for us this week. I don't know where we want to start here. 2003's A Tale of Two Sisters, written and directed by Kim Ji-woon who also did the same for I Saw the Devil, which was one of my previous picks. Here's the thing with The Tale of Two Sisters. I'd never seen this before. I thought I had. And here's why. A Tale of Two Sisters has a very similar cover to a movie more recently called We Are What We Are, which The Tale of Two Sisters cover art is a an older man and woman, presumably a mom and a dad, with their arms on two girls that are sitting in front of them on a couch. We Are What We Are, which is an American movie, 
has a dad standing behind two sisters also with his like hands on their shoulders and they're at like a table. So I knew that We Are What We Are was a remake of a foreign film. And I thought, oh, we'll look Mm. at the cover art. It's A Tale of Two Sisters. And I loved We Are What We Are. And I was like, okay, so I can kind of table A Tale of Two Sisters because it's just a remake of that. I'll watch it, whatever. I was so wrong. We Are What We Are is a remake of a Mexican horror film. A A Tale of Two Sisters does have an American remake, but it's the absolutely unforgivably bad 2009's The Uninvited, starring Elizabeth Banks. So when I started watching this, I was like, okay, well, I know what it's about. I know the plot line of We Are What We Are. And boy, was I happy to find out that this was not the movie I thought it was. This is, this is incredible. Essentially, you have a young girl is being released from a mental institution after her mother's tragic death, and, and she and her sister are returning home to the family home, only to find out that their stepmom, who was their mother's nurse when she was ill, is now married to their dad, and something seems very much off about the stepmother and the house. I loved this. I I loved every single thing about it. The ending blew my mind. It's legitimately scary. It's very, very, you know, heartwarming in terms of some of the relationships they show, and it's, it's heartbreaking in terms of the end. So I apologize for that long intro to A Tale of Two Sisters, but uh, what did you guys think of this one? I also went into this for some reason uh, expecting a bunch of other movies. Like as it was going on, uh, I was watching this, I was expecting it to be uh, like a South Korean version of uh, like Heavenly Creatures. I thought the sisters were going to have this like unhealthy escalating effect on each other and things were going to go out of control. But I found the first half of this kind of hard to get through because it's like vague and mysterious and it it has this like maniacal, confusing dread where you're as confused as the main character is, um, which reminded me of Aronofsky's uh, mother. Mm. Um, uh, okay. So because the first half of it, I was kind of like pissed. I was like, all right, well, when are they going to like come out and say what's going on here and i kept waiting for that and i got a little impatient i was also a little impatient with the one location um but then once it starts going again it's like one of those things like okay i see why uh you've brought me here um that being said it was a little too long for even me um i think some of these south korean movies do kind of tend to drag on a little bit more than than they need to um, but the cinematography in this was really good I felt like it was much more stylized than a lot of South Korean movies a lot of South Korean movies are very good but the production qualities are like more like an American action film um, and I mm. thought that this was yeah um, you know this was really just beautiful to look at um, and even though it was one location, the house is very, very easy on the eyes. And there's a lot of like beautiful set decorations. Well, I think that what you guys are thinking of is uh, a tale of two cities by Charles Dickens. So when you tell me, <laughs> when you tell me we're going to watch a tale of two sisters, 
I, I don't know if it's a porn or like what's going on. Like this is some sort of <laughs> randy take on an old English lit uh, class or something. I go, what's going on? Soft Korean tale, two sisters. What what is this? Uh, this is not. It's not every day that we watch a movie that is on both Criterion and Shutter at the same time. But right. this movie right now is on both Criterion and Shutter. You can also watch it for free on popcornflix.com. There's a couple Prime add-ons where you can watch this, but you can't rent it. This has kind of been a little bit lost, I guess, in, in, in the new digital age. Um, you can't rent this on any of the rental platforms. You have to have one of those memberships or go to Popcorn Flix. Um, I liked this. I thought it was pretty good. I did think that, like, the actually, I, I guess I'm kind of the opposite uh, from Dave. Like, I initially, I was a little more into it the first half, I think. It was giving me uh, poltergeist vibes with the static TVs going on, uh, also the ring or Ringu, and then the yeah. rancid mystery meat in the fridge, the haunted house. I was thinking very poltergeist, uh, reminded me of the lodge also. Mm. Um, and good night, mommy too. Um, I, I feel like it, I don't know. It was confusing, even though it, it's not like anything, it's not really asking you to follow anything too complicated, but I feel like it was a little confusing um, I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought that it could have been scarier. It kind of lost me, I think, over the running time. I feel like the scares kind of, I don't know, slowed down a little bit. And by the end, it's just kind of like a question of like, all right, which, you know, which people are illusions and which aren't? I don't know. Who, who's the craziest person here? Does it really matter? I don't know. I, I thought it was good, but I guess I wouldn't say I loved it. I'm usually the one that is calling out some of these foreign horror films for you know, lack of editing for just leaving everything in. So it's an hour and 50 minutes or two hours and 25 minutes. I don't know. For some reason, I thought this one was super well paced. But honestly, it's because when the, when the reveals happen at the end, it it really made me enjoy going back and, and figuring out each part of why a character and it might have been in like a slow, more dramatic scene but it explained it so much more and it gave it a lot more purpose. So I, I didn't go back and watch this twice because like I said, the, 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 there's a lot, lot of movie that we watched this week just amongst two movies. But I, I just, for whatever reason, just remembered all of, all of the first things. And I can't wait to go back and watch this again because you know, I talk about it all the time. I can't wait to watch it with the understanding of, of what the payoffs and the reveals are. I didn't feel like it was too long. I thought it was like very scary at times, and again, th honestly, this is one of my favorite payoffs in a, a twisty horror movie of all time. Stepmommy of the week, for sure. <laughs> I like. She was just like she's like my kind of batshit. I really liked how how uh, insane she was. Like when she was just telling that uh, those stories um, at the the dinner table. And no one was laughing except her laughing hysterically. Um, it was oh, really man, unsettling. That, was that scene is so good. That uh, scene is so good. Her performance the whole time is just really unsettling uh, and nerve-wracking. And her voice is shrill, and she uses it to to ill effect. <laughs> that, that was a great confusing scene. Because after that scene, which is so uncomfortable, you really it just kind of muddies the water. You know, you're trying to figure out what's going on in this movie. And then that scene doesn't help at all. Um, also big time audition vibes in this. We've talked about audition before. 
Yeah, right. So the the lumpy, the big lumpy yeah. bag. I mean, that's that's about <laughs> as direct as a reference gets. Yeah, I mean, great acting. Um, two young girls, uh, Im Soo Young plays Sumia, and Moon Joon Young plays Suyana. They're the Sumia. two sisters. Is that how you say it? I couldn't figure yeah. out how to say it. Sumia. Yeah, Sumia. They they Sumia. they add like a so it's it's S U hyphen M I. Right. And but if you listen to when they're calling them by their names, they add like an ah uh, at the end. So it's Sumia and Suyana. Yeah, they say it so fast and it's not exactly how it's spelled. So I had a hard time. It's a beautiful yeah, it's a beautiful language. You're talking sure. pretty fast right now, actually, Trey. <laughs> uh, but I thought the girls were were very very good in their roles. I love the entire arc and. When you figure out what's happening, that dinner scene takes on a whole new meaning, as does a number of different things. Like, you're wondering the whole time on the first night that the girls get back home and they see, okay, we have the new stepmommy who used to be mom's nurse. And the whole time I'm just kind of wondering, like, why is the dad sleeping on the couch? And that just sort of confused me. And I was just kind of falling back on, like, we've discussed so much on the show, like, here we go, like another useless dad that just doesn't know how to handle the situation or can't. he doesn't have the emotional capacity. But when the reveal happens, I think that honestly was one of like, it blew my fucking mind. Like, oh, that's why the dad's sleeping on the couch. Like, that's some heavy shit. We should point out that the stepmommy having been the nurse, that's like revealed later. You know, you don't know that right away. They show you that, you know, early enough on, but... It's it's not really it's kind of a mystery who she is at first. I wasn't even sure if she was like an eldest daughter initially. It, w- it wasn't totally clear because her relationship with the dad doesn't seem. I don't know. It's not super husband and wifey to me at first. It kind of like I wasn't even sure who she was. Well, the, re- the but the reveal explains to you why you're getting that vibe. Uh, see, I might have missed that. I think that I think that I might be missing a piece because I know all that. You know, I know the story. I know what happened, but I guess I think the relationship between the dad and the and the new stepmom, maybe I missed something there. You guys know about the new thriller series on Netflix, Behind Her Eyes? Have you guys heard about this? No. No. Well, I just watched it because I've been in here quarantine, and it's not super great, but the story arc is like the same as this one, which is rare because this is a really weird story arc, and it's... Uh, there's not a whole lot of flashbacks. You know what I mean? How Usually when something is explaining something and you don't reveal it till the end, a lot of times we find that there are more flashbacks. There were flashbacks in this, but uh, it was weird how the story unfolded in this and how the questions were answered, I thought. And, you know, I would have been fine if it ended with a statue. If it ended with the statue, I would have been f- totally fine. Do you remember the statue? No, what? You don't remember no, the giant, not really. the giant torso statue that she was holding? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it ended there, I would have been okay. I would have been like, that was a solid horror movie. I didn't really need all the extra mumbo yeah. jumbo minutia. They wrapped. They tried to wrap it up too much. I felt like. Yeah, but I think they needed to because, like, all the que- like Trent right now, like all the questions he has and stuff, it explains so much. It explains the entire movie and all the weird behaviors you saw. It explains the only thing that I thought maybe they threw in extra that was unnecessary was during the dinner scene. I believe it was 
the stepmother's brother and his either girlfriend or wife. And the wife, the visiting wife, her reaction and like the the seizure and what she saw like underneath, you know, when she's like on the floor and she sees, you know, has like a vision of something that was a little bit extra for me. And that was the one thing that I kept going back to to try to explain it based on all the information they give you in the final, say, 10, 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. I could have used more stuff like that. I think there should have been more horror in this and a little bit less drama. And maybe if I had seen this in 2003, I mean, this is a 20-year-old movie almost at this point. If I had seen it in 2003, I think that it would have seemed a little bit fresher to me, but I feel like I've seen so many versions of the same exact thing now. It's not this movie's fault, but I just I feel like I've seen the trick a number of times now so that it wasn't as effective, and I could have used a little bit more of the creepy, crawly stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, I I liked it more though than I liked the movies that really leaned on that like Ringu and the Eye or or whatever, you know. Like I felt like those yeah. leaned into the creepy stuff like a little too much for me. Uh, I I liked that this was a little bit more stylized, a little bit uh, like you you weren't quite sure if it was going to be a full blown horror movie, uh, but the cover kind of gives it away with the the blood all over the girls. Essentially, A Tale of Two Sisters is another adaptation of a Yoseon-era Korean folktale. So right. Yoseon was the dynastic kingdom that lasted from 1392 to 1897 in Korea. And in the tale, uh, it, or in the folktale, it tells of two sisters uh, whose names mean Rose Flower and Red Lotus. Uh, and it seems to be like an old Korean version of like the evil stepmother story. Uh, you can look it up very easily. But this particular folktale has been adapted in 1924, 1936, 1956, 1962, and 1972. So there is no shortage of adaptations of the, this particular story. But Tale of Two Sisters seems to be more inspired by it rather than adapting to it. Um, and, I, like, I mean, we, we can point out a million movies, like you guys, like Trench has said, he's seen this, like, a bunch of times. So it's a, it's a familiar story, but I, I think it's just done. Uh, I, I disagree. I love the drama aspect of it, and I think that it is a full-blown horror movie, uh, if you really think about it. Oh, no, it's a horror movie for sure. I'm not I'm not uh, questioning the, the credentials on that level. It just seem, seems like one that I've seen. Haunting of anything house Haunting oh, of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Haunting of every Trent, house. Did you get speaking of house, Trent, did this like weirdly at times remind you of that movie House? Yeah, it did yeah, it reminded me of uh of a number of, of not South Korean necessarily, but it reminded me of yeah. some as well as American horror movies, it also did remind me of other Asian horror movies and House definitely one of them, yeah. Uh lastly to shout out, Dave mentioned uh the cinematography. That's uh, Limo Guy, who also did the cinematography for I Saw the Devil. And uh, I love the music. Uh, shout out to Lee Byung Woo, who did the music for The Host, which we have also covered on the show. Yeah, I liked the soundtrack, too. That Actually, parts of the soundtrack reminded me even a little bit of some of the Italian Jalo stuff.
down in the basement, there's a secret door in the back of my daughter's bedroom, which I can get down to the basement where no one is and, um, you know, smoke whatever I smoke down there. Although, you know, I have cut back, but it feels a little bit like, you know, I, I might just go, like, move down to the basement. I should have just done that first, just gone through the, the bulkhead and planted down there, and, and then you work your way up. Um, the movie that I picked this week is Parasite from 2019, a South Korean black comedy thriller film directed by... Let me. Okay, this is gonna be a tough one here. Okay, mm. guys. So I'm gonna go through a pronunciation. Give it a shot. These are, yeah, it's like skiing through moguls here. I got this. <laughs> Bong, Bong Joon Ho, who we've talked about many times before. Uh, he co-wrote the screenplay with Han Jin Won. The film starring Song Kang Ho, Lee Sun Kyun, Cho Yi Lun, <laughs> Choi. Wu Shik, Park Sodam, Jang Hain. <laughs> it follows a poor family who scheme to become employed by a wealthy family and infiltrate their household uh, by posing as highly qualified experts in all these different bullshit fields. I'm a big fan of Bong Joon Ho. He also directed The Host, uh, Snowpiercer, and Akja, a whole bunch of others. Uh, they're all vastly different, but all his works center around uh, similar themes of classism and inequality. It almost seems like he's trying to deliver the same moral and the same point over and over again, but he like, dresses it up differently uh, in each movie. This is really a far stretch to be a horror movie, uh, unless you're part of the South Korean 1%. <laughs> um, but for me, uh, this comes from a director that should not be contained within genres because I think his strength is in uh, his storytelling and his versatility. Um, and this has to be the most internationally heralded South Korean movie. So, it's you know, for me, it's kind of done to South Korean cinema what Get Out did to uh, Black American cinema. Um, and I feel like it's a really important movie. And if, you know, this opens uh, the budget up to make another creature feature then I'm here for the whole ride. I like everything this guy does. It's a great, twisted, witty movie, um, and it'll be talked about forever and ever. Uh, I thought this was great. Uh, what did you guys think? This is a great one. I loved it. Uh, and this is on Hulu right now, or it's on all the rental platforms. Um, I saw this in the theater when it came out, and I was a little like, this movie threw me off because I have been a big fan of the host, we talked about the host back on our Beast Mode episode. I loved Snowpiercer. Um, I loved Memories of Murder also. It's a really good one about, mm. um, I think it's based on a true story about a prolific serial killer in South Korea. So Memories of Murder is a good one. So when I, uh, when I heard about this movie, all I knew was the title, and I went to see it because I was just excited, you know, being a fan of, of some of the past films. But in my mind, because of my familiarity with movies like The Host and Snowpiercer, I was imagining like South Korean body horror when I heard like Parasite. Oh, Parasite. Yeah, I was like, 
parasites. Okay, it's going to be like a killer tapeworm or something. And so, <laughs> like the first half of the movie, for quite a while, I kept waiting. Like, when is the parasite going to burst forth from someone's? You know what I mean? Like, it's gonna throw a ah, it's going to go crazy. Burster scene, like <laughs> yeah, I was wait, I was waiting for the killer tapeworm or something. You know, so it wasn't until quite a ways through the movie, and I was like, all right, I don't think this is that kind of movie. There's something else. Going I on. think I talked to you right when you got out of the theater. You you probably and I was did. asking you because because I I knew nothing about the plot going into it either right i think i think i remember you being like yeah there's no parasite <laughs> <laughs> no tapeworm no tapeworm two thumbs down yeah. two thumbs down I, I can't say <laughs> my excitement was a little bit blunted i have to say because there was no uh literal parasite flesh-eating parasite um but this is um best picture best director and best screenplay i believe and best international picture at the academy awards must have been 2020 because this was released in 2019 um big sweep and it's it's funny because the host was like a kind of a big deal at that time 2004 so this is a filmmaker that has you know broken boundaries multiple times and then parasite has got to be one of the most talked about and best received movies in all the world in the past two years so uh, i did like this one a lot it is evil um, and there's a lot going on. Frankly, a lot of it I feel like is like over my pay grade to even uh, comment on so many of the themes in this. Um, but this is a great one, and it's full of surprises. This is 100% a horror movie. There are some really, really horror things that happen in this movie. And just because it's packaged the way it is with a little comedy, with a lot of good character development, my favorite thing about this movie, and, and just... Let me stop and say, I'd never seen this before until you picked it, Dave. I had never oh, watched wow. Parasite. And again, I admitted, I don't, I, I look at like the length of a movie and I'm like, what? This movie's like two and a half hours long? Like, come on. Um, so I just sort of kept floating over it, watching all the accolades, watching everybody talk about it. And Dave was like, I'm picking Parasite. And I was like, thank you. I, I now have to have to sit down and watch this movie. I think my favorite thing about this movie, and I don't mind the length at all, is I love how compact the beginning is. Like, you get going real fast. You know, Dave mentioned there's this lower-class family. They're living in, like, this sub-basement or, like, I guess it would be more like a quasi-basement home, which seems to be, like, the norm in this particular part of, of I'm, I'm guessing this is in Seoul, South Korea. And... You know, all each member of the family is scheming to get in with this really, really well-to-do rich family. The son starts as an English tutor, and then he poses his sister off as an uh, as an art tutor. And but they're not related. You know, he's oh, I have a friend. And then the dad as a driver, and then the mom as a housekeeper. I love how fast all of that got off the tracks, and I was like, how is this movie possibly going to be as long as it is? And then there's a very prolonged middle part that I think is very, very well done. And then the ending, when they decide to wrap it up, they he compacts it again to the point where I, I was sort of like pausing the movie and being like, all right, is he moving the ending too fast? Because I love how it, how it got off, uh, off to a fast start and then really kind of takes you through a lot of different stuff at a much slower pace throughout the middle of the film and then the ending is very compact but I actually love that and I think the acting in this is amazing 
the the cinematography, all of it, it looks so good. Uh, cinematography done by Hong Kyung Pyo, who also did The Wailing, which I know was a movie that oh, Dave and I were considering picking. That's a good one. Um, yeah, but yeah. That's an, yeah, it's also like two hours and like 54 minutes or something yeah. insane. Um, but that cinematographer did did uh, Snowpiercer. Um, and, and I just, you know, the, the awards that it won kind of blow my mind. But what blows my mind more is that uh, when this came out, they estimated that 20% of South Korea's population saw this based on ticket sales. It's the first non-English language film to win Best Pick at the Academy Awards. Uh, the first South Korean mm. film to get Academy nods. But Dave, I think you're going to appreciate this the most. It was nominated six times. Trent mentioned four wins. One of the things it was nominated for that it didn't win for, and Jun Ho, this was his favorite nomination, and he was upset it didn't win, was editing. So this movie was edited by a man named Yang Jin Mo, who also did Okja and Train to Busan, which another one we talked about on the show. Dude, he used a 2011 version of Final Cut Pro to edit this, a version that was not even supported by updates anymore. Wow. Wow. I am impressed by that. Yeah. I was waiting to not be impressed. When you said that, I was like, <laughs> don't tell me what I'll be impressed by. But I'll tell you what I am impressed by as well as that is that in the entertainment industry, uh, you become somewhat of a connoisseur of con artists. You come across a lot of uh, con artists that are yeah. very blatant, and they're not good at what they do. They're bad at conning. So Yeah, they still get us, though. I know they do. But these, <laughs> these con man movies where there's people doing these things, uh, when someone's really good at it, I have like a respect for it because yes. I've, I feel like I've, I've had a lot. My palate is full of bullshit. Though that's one of my favorite parts of this movie is, you know, we've talked about the the family that is not well to do. You really kind of fall in love with this family and you spend the entire movie, I think, I think rooting for them, even though what they're doing is incredibly wrong. But then there's the whole like capitalism part of it where you're like, are they wrong? Is what they're doing wrong? Like if they have to get by that way and then, you know, adversely. You also like the rich family that they're working for, which consists of this very successful husband, his wife who stays home and does nothing. They're two children. They have a teenage daughter and a younger boy. And then the housekeeper, like the housekeeper storyline, which obviously ends up being incredibly important to the entire movie unfolding. It's it's like every single one of them could be viewed as villains or sympathetic characters all at the same time. That's why I painstakingly and humiliatingly tried to pronounce all of the actors' names because everyone gives, like, a lead performance in this movie. Uh, you gave a lead performance right there with that list of names. I was not, uh, was not <laughs> expecting that. I decided my strategy was that I wasn't going to even try uh, any of them. Um, you know, the only thing for me, honestly, about Parasite is I feel like for me, it's, like, very tame. You know, I know that, like, I don't know, I guess, like, people that run the Academy and uh, do film criticism for, like, fancy newspapers and magazines and stuff, maybe they don't see these type of metaphors all the time, and uh, there is, you know, sort of a climax of uh, violence in this and stuff. But I feel like, I don't know, 
it wasn't that crazy to me. Like, I feel like we watch a lot of movies that run similar parables and, you know, use the, the horror elements that I, I think that if you spend all your time watching horror movies that, that do this kind of thing pretty routinely, it's not quite, I don't know, it's not quite as um, different as it might be if you just like watch mainstream dramas and comedies and stuff. Well, I think the awards uh, industry is kind of just bullshit. And I think that after a while, when there's a scene that that is blowing up, that they're like, we need to be part of this. Yes. Or, you know, everyone's going to say we're not relevant to what's happening. Once someone does something in a scene that makes them heard, then I feel like it's just the timing's right for whatever big movie comes out by the, the prominent director in these, when I say scenes, it could be, you know, um, it could be an American scene of horror movies or it could be South Korean or wherever, but um, someone's making a splash and the same thing happens with music. Like, yes. you know, Wilco's been killing it for so many years. I guess we'll throw him some Grammys or something. You know, like, yeah. I feel like that happens every once in a while. Um, a lot of times you have the makeup uh, recognition where like a, an artist has been ignored right. for long enough and they obviously should have been recognized before now, but they haven't yeah. been. And then much yeah. later they just do something that's like kind of crappy, but it's overdue. So you're they like, ah, right they... to the lifetime achievement. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking the same thing. Like, like DiCaprio comes to mind. Denzel Washington. Comes There's a lot to of mind. past performance like, awards that are given out yeah. by the older stodgier. Like, yeah, we really should have recognized this before now and, and not, you know, I, I wouldn't cast parasite necessarily into that category, but I feel like, it, I feel like the effect of the movie is just a little bit blunted if you're used to watching movies that sort of take this kind of uh, approach to their commentary. It's not that crazy if you watch a lot of horror movies. It is funny. This movie actually is Very funny. funny. You might be onto something where it's not that over the top if you're into horror, but maybe that's one of the things that Jun Ho just did for the industry that's even better, or at least for our our corner of the industry he just tricked a bunch of people into you know voting best picture to a horror movie and you know maybe that's why it has this stigma that it's not a real horror movie because god forbid that a real horror movie ever gets you know these high honors but i i I do think this is kind of over the top i do think some of the things that he's showing and some of the scenes in this movie are really really fucked up but because he makes this family so haphazard in in their cons, and because he makes the rich family like so over the top, like stereotypically rich and unable to handle themselves and view reality because they're so well off, I, I, I think that actually adds effect. If you stripped away some of the some of the comedic ways that he had them give these performances, and again, credit to the actors and actresses, I think this would could could have been a lot darker. Yeah, and you talked about rooting for the family, and I feel like that's something that I run into pretty frequently now that I didn't run into as much maybe in years past, and I, I probably blame, uh, as far as the American end of my uh, entertainment consumption, I probably blame Larry David for this idea where you do these characters that are so relatable, you can't help but relate to them but they're terrible and you're not supposed to be rooting for them. And it's kind of hard sometimes to know, like, 
uh, you know, like when you're supposed to be rooting and when you're not and like who is relatable but terrible and who is relatable and good. I mean, I don't really know like who is the good guy, who are the good people in Parasite. It's kind of hard to discern. Maybe that's part of the point. The best example of that is Scarface for me. Well, I just thought the best example of that in this movie in terms of um, trying to find the bad and the good in every character is is the father of, of the rich family. Like, so far as you can tell, the only bad thing that he does is he finds a funky smell on certain characters in the movie and which ends up playing a very big role. And again, I'll have to go back and watch this again, which I'll be happy to now. But it's it's interesting some of the ways they show like the difference, the, the classism of this. And, you know, for all the events that fold out and and how each character ends up their fates, you know, I'm watching it waiting for something with with the rich dad. And I'm like, oh, so he thinks mm. that the guy driving his car smells like, you know, an onion or something. <laughs> and that keeps coming up throughout the movie and ends up being a large part of one of one of the climaxes. Well, the rich family is so benign. They're portrayed in a light that this movie doesn't put any blame on the wealthy family in this. Like you said, there isn't really anything that they do. You know, there's at no point where... They're like villains. They're just kind of like airheaded rich people doing what airheaded rich people Absolutely. do. Yeah. So I feel like it it must have been purposeful to not, you know, the movie is is about the system that enables these tiers of existence and not really criticizing the people that happen to end up on one end or the other. You know what I mean? So we, we all know I have a, a pretty severe aversion to uh, anything poop related. So mm, if the uh, actual horror elements of this movie didn't classify it as a horror movie for me, the flooding and the sewer scene uh, definitely had me going. And when she just like sits on the toilet, but there's still sewage bursting up through the seat as she's like, sitting on it, like taking a cigarette out and lighting it. I was I was like, I cannot do that. Do you remember when that happened to me in John's apartment? <laughs> On York Street? <laughs> yes, I did. The sewage exploded and the hazmat people had to come and clean the place out. But, you know, I did like about their spot in the be the beginning. One of the first uh, most endearing parts to me was uh, where their toilet was and where the cell service was. Yes. <laughs> it was all like up on this little shelf and they all like were cowering to get cell service. It reminded me of, you know, myself and many times, uh, Looking for that perfect signal. Self-service. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite scenes, and I thought that was one of the funniest is when the cell service that they or the Wi-Fi that they had been ripping off, like the, they put a password on or whatever, and then eventually they get the Wi-Fi back and they have the celebratory dinner and it's like uh, give a moment of thanks for this the bounty of this Wi-Fi again. We can all look at our phones. There's a great scene in this uh, and and a quote that stuck with me where the father of the not-so-well-to-do family, um, who Dave said, uh, Sung Kang-ho, he plays Kataik. He's also in The Host, Snowpiercer, uh, Memories of Murder, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. So we've seen seen this South Korean actor in quite a few things. But he's talking to his, uh, I, be I believe it's his son, and he's, he talks about how money is an iron. Like, 
smooths out all the wrinkles. Mm. And that hit pretty hard. Like just those four words, money isn't iron, just made me think about, you know, the lower class and how they're st- staring up and looking at. They think that, that that's literally all they need. If we can just get oh, some It's money. nice that you think of us sometimes, Kevin. <laughs> oh, my God. Kevin, every once in a while, Kevin goes out on his balcony and he thinks about the other side. <laughs> How are they living tonight? Probably have probably poop is coming up through their toilets, and yet they don't yeah. let it get them down. Yeah. I heard they yeah. still have Christmas, and they only have a, a can of spam, and they still. You're not the parasite. You're the host. <laughs> <laughs> the family gets this job assembling pizza boxes, and they they yeah. don't they don't do it right. They have to do like hundreds of these pizza boxes, and I've had that job. Have you? Have you done that? Yeah, it really dries out your hands. I've done it, um, at, you know, as a pizza place employee, not as a freelancer. But it really does a number. It sucks all the moisture out of your hands, and the next thing you know, you're having like thumb splits and stuff because you're doing these pizza boxes all day. But uh, they don't do them all right. And at one point, the the boss, the woman that they're doing it for, looks at them and she's talking about the boxes. But she says, one out of four are rejects. And it's just the four of them, like standing there, and the four of the family. Yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. There was a lot yeah, of that that's stuff. A good observation. I, I feel like it lost a little bit of the humor, maybe toward the end, but it was getting so serious that I guess uh, um, that was kind of just what it was doing. But I thought the first half was funnier. Well, I thought I thought that was on purpose so that uh, when it did get serious, it was a little more impactful. You know, you have kind of sort of spent this time like laughing and being like, "Ah, oh, these guys are like halfwits, and it's so whimsical yeah. and." How can this plot possibly, you know, turn out? And then, you know, you find Dave's basement escape hatch and you're like, oh, shit, yeah, that's real. But, but again, like, I'm just, I'm used to everyone dying. I mean, every movie that I watch, uh, you know, like this, like, I feel like the effect was a little bit blunted on me. Like, oh, my God, this violence and savagery has, blo- has you know, broken out in this movie. The story has taken such a dark turn, you know. People are brutalizing each other uh, just to survive, and people are dying. I'm like, oh, you know, well, oh, is this thing over? Yeah, I mean, yeah, what's what's new, you know? Yeah, there, there are times that I'm definitely just, uh, like, not looking at, like, text messages from you guys and just trying to watch Disney and, and like, pretend everything's okay. I know Cat gets Cat gets pretty overwhelmed. I think with the uh, the amount of just savage, brutal stuff that we have to go through every week. Yeah, when I'm trying to like have a shared experience with everyone else and normal people that don't just watch that all the time. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, it was so powerful," you know. Oh man, really? And I'm like, "What? Uh, I don't know. That was uh, that was a fun one." You ever have uh, like you recommend people ask for horror movie recommendations? <laughs> And like my my daughter will go to like sleepovers like Papa, what should we watch? And my friends say they like horror movies and they have like no clue. They're like on some goosebumps level. Um, and then I end up traumatizing <laughs> all kinds of people. But I sometimes have uh, a recommend regret. Yeah, later on, I'm like, oh yeah, you should watch uh, you know so and so movie. And then they're like, yeah, man, that movie. <laughs> like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Your you know, I don't know. I get into that stuff. Your yeah. relationship has changed forever. Like they're not making. Yeah, a... they act like they're concerned yeah. for you. Yeah, or they're or they're scared of you. Like suddenly, wing night. There's no eye contact. Um, I thought the the dispatching of the original uh, made in this very creative with the the peach allergy. Mm. And mm. then they uh, 
they figured out how to make it seem like she had uh, active TB by, <laughs> yeah, by that, setting off that her was amazing. With- I mean that that's where it really got funny. Where you're like, these rich people really have no clue. Like they they can't even like find a washcloth on their own. Um, but the peach allergy was inspired by uh, Jun Ho had a college roommate that actually had an allergy to peaches. And that made him think huh. of that. Um, he also tutored for a rich family when he was younger. And this inspired that. It, it's also inspired by a 1960s South Korean thriller called The Housemaid. And a true crime story where uh, Christine and Leah Papin, two live-in maids who killed their employers in 1930s France. Huh. Wow. Where, where do you... Get all this information. Is there like a website you go to, like one single place, or is there a parasites? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you know, no, I appreciate it. You know, I like is I like on Amazon Prime when you pause, you can that's see IMDb. who's in the scene. Right. That's but, that's pulled directly from IMDb. You can look up cast. It's a little distract- I find it a little distracting. But it's bad. It's bad for horror movies because you'll see a person. And then you'll pause it. You'll, it'll be just one person on the screen. You'll pause it, and you'll be like, oh, there, there's someone else in the house because that Jeffrey, <laughs> oh. whoever, plays. You know, you see his face down there like, oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. I've always that. found that it, like, lags, and it's always showing me, like, the people from the previous scene. Okay. Um, but you are right. Now that I think of it, sometimes it shows you who's going to show up in the scene. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, I wonder if, like, you pause it on The Strangers and it's like, Liv Tyler, Man in the Mask. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> right. I just fucking gave it away. <laughs> <laughs>